So I want to, uh, I want to spend the first two minutes just rooting uh, these two events. And, and um, I think it gets a bit boring, but I want to remind us every time we come to uh, a part of Mark, I want to throw an anchor all the way back to the first verse of Mark, where it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what Mark says. It's the first account of the life of Jesus that was written, this gospel of Mark, this uh, good news of Mark. Uh, and, and Mark is saying the beginning of the good news. I don't think when he says the beginning... He means this is the beginning of the account. I think he's considering all of the account as the beginning of the good news. In other words, he's saying the good news of Jesus begins with the presence of Jesus. It continues to us today, and that good news remains with us today. So I want to ask a question. Um, why is this? These, why are these two texts good news for us today? Because after all, they, like many of the accounts in the book of Mark, they seem so remarkably disconnected. Um, one, of our, one of our gathering is not with us because he's actually in Israel at the moment. Uh, I was there a, f a while ago. I think he's still in Israel. He's, yeah, you've just got the nod. He's, he's still there. Uh, Gabby's still in Israel. I was there a, a, a couple of years ago and on this Lake Galilee. And I guess there was a moment there where it really transferred me back and brought to life a lot of these texts. But you know, if we relied on that, if we relied on that kind of experience to bring these texts to life, we're in real, real trouble. Because that is not what brings the text to life. What brings the text to life is when God's presence by His Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts these words in ways which bring them dynamically and powerfully into the events of our life today. So I want to give two words which sit over this, these two texts. One is feeding and one is calming. Just think about those two words as we're working through today. Feeding and calming. Uh, I guess that most of you have seen the, it's on mugs, it's on tea towels, it's on just about everything these days, the slogan, keep calm and whatever it is. What's your favorite? Um, I suppose mine is, in all honesty, keep calm and ride your bike. That's probably the best. You might think keep calm and eat cake is pretty good drink tea, whatever it might be. Isn't it interesting that we've got this idea in our society, we've got this desire which become a strap line for us, keep calm, and it came originally from that, keep calm and carry on. The question that we must ask ourselves as Mark recounts these events is how do these events, in our, in, not in a glib kind of way, but in a real way, how do they engage with calm in our life? That's the question I want to ask. So let's very briefly just recount the, the, the two events. I, I think it's helpful to recount the events because we, we read that text together, but the reality is that um, as somebody's reading the text, I, I know that because I'm like you, our minds go somewhere else and we don't quite follow the storyline, but the events are really, really very simple. Jesus has been teaching, and the disciples realize that they're getting to the end of the day. It's getting dark. They're a long way from anywhere. 
and everybody who's gathered around Jesus, uh, they're hungry. He's been spending all of this time teaching them. They're hungry. And the disciples say, can't we, can't we give, send them away to get something to eat? Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, verse 37. They say, come on, look at how many people are here. Uh, and I suppose that contextualizes for us. They say, to feed this many people, that is more than half a year's wages. I suppose in lots of ways, that's not totally dissimilar to us, isn't it? If we wanted to feed 5,000 people, it might cost us half a year's wages to feed 5,000 people. What have you got, Jesus says? Five loaves and two fishes. It is one of the most well-known stories in the life of Jesus, isn't it? The disciples say that's all we've got. I remember as a little one being taught this story, and it's the little boy who goes up with the little basket, and he's got five. That was his lunchbox, it seems, when he went out to, to hear about this Jesus. He goes out with his lunchbox. He's got five loaves, two fishes. He hands it over, and Jesus multiplies five loaves and two fishes so that it feeds 5,000 people. Everybody is fed. So much so that by the end of the feeding, there is excess food gathered up. I think that's a really remarkable thing, isn't it? Jesus doesn't find a way for five loaves and two fishes to be just about enough for everybody to have enough to keep them going till the following day when they can have some breakfast. He overwhelmingly feeds them. Don't know about you, but I've spent, if you've spent a day doing something, you get to the end of the day and you haven't eaten, and then somebody comes and gives you, how much food would you like? Uh, a bit more? A bit more? Do you want some more? And you, what, if you're like me, you will keep eating. And they just ate and ate, and Jesus provided for all of their felt need at that moment in time, so much so that there was an excess. It's a remarkable moment in the life of Jesus. The next follow-on from that is, and we, keep, we need to keep in the story because the connectedness is really, really important. They've, they've eaten. And then Jesus says right to the disciples, now you go on ahead. You know where we're headed. You go on ahead. I'm going to go up alone to pray. The disciples leave ahead of Jesus to go to Bethsaida. Then later, the sea state which the disciples are on, uh, it's a fascinating lake, Lake Galilee. It's surrounded by mountains. It was remarkable. It, like it was like a mill pond when we were there. It was, it was so smooth. But apparently, the geography of the place can result in surprisingly treacherous weather on the Sea of Galilee. And that, it seems, is what blew up while the disciples were on the lake rowing this boat towards Bethsaida. The disciples are struggling. Jesus walks to them. And in verse 50, he says, he walks to them on the water, which is again one of those iconic, well-known cultural events that everybody knows about Jesus walking on the water. He walks to them. And in verse 50, he says, take courage, 
It is I, don't be afraid. And he gets into the boat, and as he gets into the boat, the water calms. And they make their way further on. They get a little bit further along the lake. There's two events. Now, those two events, you can see, I guess, why we've put strap lines over them of feeding and calming. It's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus feeds the people, then he calms the lake. So that's, we've rooted it, and we've asked the question, how does this fit with the first verse of the Gospel of Mark? Now we've said these two events in the life of Jesus and the disciples somehow are connected to the first verse of Mark. So I now want to ask the question, how? What is our big picture, our helicopter ride? The reality is we could take either of those events and we could probably spend a couple of weeks on each of them working through the details, looking at all of the issues that surround each one of the events. We could spend the next month looking at just these two events. We could do that, but I don't want to. I want us to, if you like, sit high over these two things that happened in this 12, 14, 15 hour period of time and ask, what is the connection? What, how do we orientate these two events? What does it take for these to contribute to this big picture? I think one of the ways that very often you can do that in the Bible, uh, and most of the writers in their own different way, is they give you, they kind of give you literary brackets that you can, if you work out where the brackets are in the big stories, you can say, well, there's where it starts with this statement, and there's where it ends with the next statement. The first opening bracket, which relates to feeding, for me, is in verse 34. Have a look at verse 34, what it says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. That's how it opens up. That's the start of the event that recorded and, and ended up, if you like, in the feeding of these 5,000 people. Jesus arrives uh, and, and he sees these people. He sees that the way they are is like sheep without a shepherd. I want to ask a really simple question, excuse me, a really simple question on this one and the next one. Did the people feel like sheep without a shepherd? Here we are, 2,000 years later, we read that text, and, and we probably kind of put ourselves over those people, and we say, oh, the poor people, they, they really desperately needed Jesus. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. I think the reality is all of those people who Jesus spoke to, who Jesus taught, were just like you and me. Here they were. A dramatic and an incredible event was going on in their region. The event was Jesus. Jesus was the event. 
He was the thing that everybody was talking about. Everybody was uh, involved in trying to see or discussing or working out what's going on with this unusual person who is now walking around our territory and behaving in a way which was quite remarkable. We've never heard anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. This Jesus is unusual. And therefore, I want a bit of it. Now let me put it like this. I think for these people, Jesus was the latest thing. He's just the latest thing. He was the one that they they were excited about. He was the one, actually, that did things for them. What did He do? He healed them. He, he, He banished all of the fears that they were surrounded by. The fear of illness, which was uncontrollable in their day, relatively speaking. He healed people. He brought somebody back to life. They saw this Jesus, and and Jesus was the thing because they saw that He could do something for them. And therefore, I want to suggest to you, when Jesus lands on the lake, and there are 5,000 people waiting to see Him, waiting to engage with Him, they saw Him as the thing that could do something for them, and they never felt anything like being sheep without a shepherd. Nothing like it. So we have this human perspective, if you like, which is Jesus is this moment. I want to get in on the action. I don't want to go into work tomorrow and, re- and kind of have the conversation with my pals who tell me that Jesus has been here yesterday and I've missed it. I don't want to be that person that's missed out. And therefore, I'm going to be there. I'm going to see what Jesus can do for me. That's the human perspective. They never felt like sheep without a shepherd. They felt like people who could get something out of Jesus. And yet Jesus sees them in a completely different way. And Mark engages with the divine perspective. He speaks in this little section about how Jesus saw them, not how they saw themselves. I think that's remarkably important for us to think through and work through, that Jesus speaks into this moment and engages through the voice of Mark, through the writing of Mark, and He reveals to us how the people were, not how they felt. They were like people who were just lost. They were helpless. They were hopeless. And so He fed them. You see that in verse 34? Do you see that He fed them in verse 34? It doesn't say that He fed them, does it? It says... He began teaching them many things. But actually what He was doing is He was feeding them. That's the connection between what He says and what He does. 
That's why Jesus used an opportunity to reinforce what had gone on before with what he then saw that they needed. It was really, really easy for them to engage with the idea that they were hungry. They needed to be fed. The connection that they needed to make was that they needed to be fed spiritually before they needed to be fed physically. That's what Jesus did without them even realizing their need. In other words, He fed them. Not, and, and I think very often when we read that word taught, we, we drift into our kind of our, our teaching school university mindset. But Jesus taught them things. Let's go back to last week. I think what He's doing is He's He's speaking in ways that fills their inside with thought, with hope, with meaning, with purpose. So Jesus feeds them, and then He feeds them. Keep that in mind. He feeds them. Second thing is that He calms. Where's the end of the brackets? Look at verse 51. So this is the end of the second account. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were terrified. These, these guys, they're not wimps who, who never go out in a boat, who are going to get seasick if it gets just a little bit rocky. These, they're not this kind of guy. These are fishermen who are used to being out there. And he gets into the boat, and the wind died down, and they are transformed. Then it says this, they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Do you see what Mark's saying? He's saying this event, this Jesus walking to them out on the water, this event is connected to the loaves. It's really easy to miss that, isn't it? Because we get caught up in what Jesus does. And we get to realize that what's being pointed out is that they behave with amazement because they didn't get the loaves thing. That's what Mark says. They were amazed because they didn't get the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. That is an amazing little statement, I think. Their hearts were hardened. They had hard hearts. They didn't connect the feeding with the calming. I want to ask exactly the same questions we asked of the people. Did the disciples feel as if they were hard-hearted? I would say no. I would say no. They were getting to know Jesus. They had already been out. We read it. They'd been out and they'd spoken to people about Jesus. They'd been amazed at what had happened. They'd been excited to come back and to recount to Jesus what had happened when they went out with the message of Jesus and they were empowered with that message. They were excited about this. They didn't look like people with hard hearts. And yet the message here is that they are. That is so important for us to come to terms with. Because again, when we think about the word, a bit like taught makes us think about being in school, 
Hard-heartedness makes us think about stubborn resilience, does, uh, resistance, doesn't it? Stubborn resistance. That's what hard-heartedness springs up in our minds. The disciples were not like that. But from the divine perspective, even though they didn't feel as if they were hard-hearted, that's exactly what they were. You see, hard-heartedness does not look to, need to look hard. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Hard-heartedness does not need to look hard. It can be soft. It can be gentle. But what it is, is some kind of resistance. That's, that's our helicopter ride. We've said that at the beginning Jesus feeds and then He feeds. And now we've said that Jesus engages with them and they understand that the disciples have got hard hearts. So here's the question then. Why does this, how does this fit together? How have the disciples got hard hearts? And how does it speak to us? At the core of this event is quite simply this. What does it mean for the Son of God to be present? What does it mean for Jesus to be present? See, the answer is, and I think this is where it really starts to create striking parallels with the world that we live in. The first is the question of them looking like sheep. They don't look unstable. They don't look as if they're all over the place. They don't look as if they're terrified sheep running off in all directions, but Jesus says that's what they are. Why? Because they are chasing around for the next thing. They are looking for the next thing that they can use to, to, to make them feel better. They could, they're looking for the next thing to satisfy them. They're looking for the next thing to make them happy. They're looking for the next thing to make them feel worthwhile. They're looking for the next thing to make them feel valued. They're looking for the next thing to make them feel secure. They're looking for the next thing that can serve them. What is the common thread? It is all about them. What will serve me? I don't think there's anything in lots of ways that speaks more directly to our society and culture today. We spend our lives chasing things to make us feel better, to make us feel good, to make us feel secure, to make us feel loved, to make us feel wanted. And what is that deep inside? It's us saying, where's the next thing? thing to make me feel okay. Where's the next thing? It's effectively, we do the same as we chase out to Jesus who's just landed on the shore of the lake because He's the next thing in our life. The next thing that makes us feel valued. 
I think that that speaks to us, doesn't it? That's how we are. Why? Why is that? Because we are like sheep without shepherds. We are making it all about us. In one sense, there's nothing, there's not, there's not, there's nothing wrong with that in one sense. Because it speaks about the fact that we need something. It speaks about the fact that we are those kind of people, just like these people who are desperately looking to be okay. In lots of ways, it speaks absolutely to our needs. But Jesus didn't feed them physically first. He fed them spiritually first. That's how he fed them first. That's how he, how he opened up his heart and he says, do you know all of that desperate angst, all of that desperate need, all of that looking for the next thing, I get it, I understand it, because you are like sheep without a shepherd. See what it says. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He wasn't angry with them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And Jesus says the same to you and me today. He says, I know how you feel. Because I see, unlike what you are willing to see, you are like sheep without a shepherd. You are chasing around for the next thing. You are looking desperately to be secure. And I understand that, but I ultimately, I am the one who can feed that need. See that? I am the one who can feed that need. John puts it like this in his gospel, John chapter 6 and verse 37. Jesus says this, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. See that? Jesus went to pray because He was feeding on His Father in this world. That's why He took this time off and got, got close to His Father. He was feeding on His Father. And He says, just as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Let me just say it really clearly and really simply. We all are like sheep. We are scattered. We are chasing. We are running after the next patch of grass that looks like it will feed us. And the reality is that all of that need is found ultimately when we feed on Jesus. Our social interactions the things we make, the things that we chase after, all of those good things, <laughs> we make ultimate things. We change them and we say this good thing, this relationship, this friendship, this activity, this career, which are all good things, we say that is the ultimate thing. That thing can deliver everything that I need. And then it fails us because we've made it something more than it can ever be. We've made it into an idol that we worship that is a wor which is hollow and empty. 
It's not a bad thing. It's just a good thing that we've made an ultimate thing. And Jesus says, you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop making those good things ultimate things. Get rid of them. Put them in their place. Love them. Cherish them. But love them through me. Feed on me first. Put all of those things in perspective. And then they can start to serve you in the way that I intended them to. Because you serve me first. You love me first. You feed on me first. And we say, okay, what about this hard heart thing? What about the disciples who who are described as having hard hearts? Our resistance to being willing to feed on Jesus is because we have hard hearts. We might not look like hard people, but we have hard hearts. And the result of that is that we reject the calm that Jesus brings. There is a connection between feeding and calm. The disciples were in a mess on the lake because they hadn't connected the loaves with the presence of Jesus. That's what it says. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. They did not understand that the presence of Jesus, who was able to feed with words and then able to feed with food, It was not about the things that he did. It was about who he was and the fact that he was present with them. It it was Jesus being there. What does Jesus being there mean? It means incredible, overwhelming, flourishing, outpouring of grace so that he can feed them over and above what they need. Baskets and baskets full unused, because Jesus can bring overwhelming provision. You say, what about all of those people who have trusted in Jesus, who have died in famines? What about all of those people who have trusted in Jesus, and actually they have ended in a tragic way, racked with fear and lack of peace? That is a really important question. And the way that that is answered when we see that Jesus is not only the temporary presence in this world. You see, that's what the disciples saw. They saw Jesus as the temporary presence who can give them food now, who can give them teaching now, and they missed the fact that Jesus is also the eternal divine Son of God who can give us eternal peace, who can give us eternal food, who can give us eternal presence. You see, it does not end when we take our last breath when we trust in Jesus. The peace that we have does not end. That song that we've just sung, it brought tears to my eyes. When I take my last breath, I still have hope in Jesus. I still have hope in Jesus. You know, when we're younger, That kind of stuff is stuff that, you know, that's like out there. 
I don't want to think about that stuff. I've got so many things to fill life with. I've got plans. I've got a career. I've got stuff I want to do. I've got kids. I've got all that stuff. And then suddenly we're faced with a reality at some point that life is very brief, like the falling of a leaf. And then we say, but my hope is in Jesus, who is eternally beyond this present moment and gives me life beyond. That is the Christian hope. And that's what the disciples hadn't understood. That's why their hearts were hardened. They were hardened because they were only looking to what they could take from Jesus. They were not letting themselves go and giving themselves to the calm and the peace that Jesus brings. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and eat cake. Keep calm and ride your bike. Keep calm and do whatever. I find it really, really interesting you know me, I kind of, you know, I, nothing like that can simply be a little interesting coaster for a mug or something like that, or a tea towel. I've always got to kind of interpret it and see what's going on there. It's really fascinating. Do you know what's really interesting? Is that that keep calm and carry on motif was used in World War II. It's used in World War II in the grip of the horror of potential Nazi invasion where there was a message which was put out, keep calm and carry on. You see, back then, the virtue that which, was, which was extolled was the kind of stoical, stiff upper lip, British, we can get through this. That's what was valued. There was a front that says, keep calm and carry on. And underneath, there was all of the fears and terrors and worries and concerns. You see, it wasn't any better then. It was just different. What is a virtue now? A virtue is when we are absolutely out with all of our feelings, with all of our expressions of fear and concern, so that ironically... A theme, an emblem which was used in the middle of war has ironically become something that we use as a kind of symbol of everyday life. We're almost acknowledging we are not calm and we don't feel like we can carry on. It's just out there because it's the same thing. Whether we put a front on it or whether we're open about the reality, we are like sheep scattered, who have no shepherd. We are chasing the next thing. We need feeding from Jesus, and when we open ourselves to the presence of the divine Son of God who feeds us, He brings the kind of calm that is beyond our wildest expectations and our greatest dreams. That is what He brings so that in the most terrible of situations, there is a deeper peace. There is a deeper hope. That's what connects these two events. And that's what points us all the way back to the first verse of Mark, where it says, this is the beginning of the good news 
about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's present with you. The question quite simply is this, have we opened our hearts to the kind of teaching which feeds us deeply and calms our inner being?